0: This is the Circulate podcast, broadcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation.
1: Imagine you were a tech giant like Google, by all accounts doing pretty well for itself. Why might you be interested in switching to a circular economy? Here's their Vice President of
2: Operations, Jim Miller. The thing that we love about the circular economy is it, it's that nexus of doing good, feeling good about what we're doing, but also fully supporting the the what we you know the driving the, the core objectives of the business and making money for the company.
1: Now Jim will go on to tell us that the internet is a materially intensive environment, but Google has a plan for that
2: where the ultimate and end-all-be-all all goal is to have zero waste and use everything to its ultimate uh, extreme.
1: Google became a global partner of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation in 2015. During this podcast, we'll find out precisely why they're interested in the circular economy. But Jim Miller will also touch on some of Google's other exciting ventures, such as autonomous vehicles, the potential of remote monitoring and artificial intelligence. So effectively what we've done with DeepMinds and our machine learning capability
2: is we've essentially said, look, there's this ML for a machine learning framework. Look at the data centers, understand how the data centers work and essentially tell us of all of the variables and how they interact with one another tell us how to run the world's most efficient data center.
1: In this podcast you'll hear my colleague Joe Isles quiz Google's Jim Miller. Joining Joe and Jim in the conversation is the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's global partnerships lead Nick Engineer. Listen out for Nick's perspective on why companies like Google are vital in the transition to a regenerative circular economy.
0: Can you bring us up to speed a bit? How did Google get from, uh, I imagine, not knowing too much about the circular economy to becoming a global partner of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's quite an interesting journey. Um, Google is a company who built itself around principles of now what we call the circular economy. We just didn't really know that that there was such a thing called the circular economy. So. We are a company who, I believe, at its roots and its foundation, thinks in systems, where you know things are regenerative, and the way we run our data centers, the way we design the very infrastructure that powers Google, is built around economic principles, which we now recognize in retrospect, are foundational to the circular economy. So the story how we got involved was uh, we belong to a group called the Corporate Eco Forum, and I run sustainability as as part of my role. And a number of years ago, uh, the leader uh, of that group, MR Rangashwamy, and I were talking about how we wanted to look and we were, we were looking at economic systems of running our data centers as closed-loop entities, where the ultimate and end-all, be-all goal is to have zero waste and use everything to its ultimate uh, extreme. And you know, he, uh, MR said, you know, you really should talk to this group uh, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, because they're proposing and espousing this notion of the circular economy, and it was amazing. It was almost serendipitous because, as we learned about what Ellen MacArthur and, and the foundation, uh, their goal around circular economy, it dovetailed perfectly into what we were trying to do, and you know that we we've been a global partner going on for two years now, and it is incredibly. Well aligned to how Google thinks, and the ultimate goal of running this, you know, continuous virtual cycle uh, of of our resources and the way we think about our, our infrastructure. So that the, it was a, uh, just a very, very uh, opportune time to, to get engaged with the, the foundation.
0: So there were there were activities that were already in place that, in in hindsight, you, you now would say were aligned with the circular economy, but also I'm, I'm getting there's a way of thinking as well Absolutely. that was already built in at Google.
2: Absolutely. Now, I think we're still very, you know, uh, immature and and you know, new to many concepts. We want to do things well beyond how we're doing them today, but yeah, exactly. We're we're well aligned to what. In, in, again, in retrospect, we look at and go, ah, that's circular thinking.
0: And has that has that been uh, a helpful sort of way to to package it up? I mean, if these things were already in process, I, you might think, well what does the circular economy add, but does it, is it a way to, to focus those efforts or to, a way to, to refine that thinking?
2: It's a great question. I, I think it's actually uh, both. So it allowed us to take these activities and build a framework around them, both a framework of thinking, of teaching, a framework of analysis around economics, material science, uh, but ultimately, it allows us to actually frame much of what we're doing today and in the future around the concepts of, of circularity.
0: And when you think about the activities that, that Google kind of have, in, and, and Alphabet, I guess, as well, um, in, over at uh, Mountain View and, and around the world, there's a lot going on. There's self-driving cars. There's energy projects. There's obviously data centers, AI. Sure. Does this, how, how do you pick where to start with, with something like the circular economy?
2: Well, for us, it's fairly simple. Uh, at its core, as you mentioned, we have a lot of activities that are happening around the company. It's no secret, the biggest bang for the buck, so to speak, is around our global data centers that power a big chunk of the internet and search and YouTube and, and other uh, applications of Google. That's where billions of dollars of capital are being uh, expended every year to build and operate data centers. and. It's obviously a very material intensive. I know most people don't think about the internet, but the internet is in fact a, a material intensive environment. So that was the logical first step because it allowed us the largest leverage, bang for the buck so to speak, of circular concept. And then as we start to think about our other operations around the company, it's a natural springboard uh, into those efforts. But. Really, the data centers was the the impetus and the uh, the catalyst for um, the the circular economy. And can you tell us a bit more about um, this circular economy approach to the data centers?
0: Because I know there's there's a, 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 quite a substantial case study that's been published on sure. the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's website. So, what else can you tell us about how uh, a circular economy data center, for want of a better sure. term, looks?
2: Well, at its core, if you think about a data center, it's 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 a large building, and in many cases, it's it's a series of buildings. Um, so we, under the umbrella of data infrastructure, we've got a large construction company. We've got, uh, we're running cloud infrastructure, compute, networking, storage. Uh, and we're running a large facilities operation to power the, to internet, the is data centers and, and run them by 24. So it's an amalgam of a number of different operations and supply chains, but at its core, And it's well aligned, and I think this this is absolutely a critical point to the circular economy. We want to run our data centers as efficiently as possible for economics purposes, for other purposes as well. Um, So essentially what the circular concept within the data centers allows us to do is run those operations and align our incentive systems around eking out the most efficiency for an entire life, and that could be the life of a building, which is decades, to the life of a server, which is over a number of years, and everything in between for various infrastructure. Now, I won't go into a lot of the detail for the sake of time around our case study, but essentially what our case study is at its its essence is deploying large-scale infrastructure. We're one of the world's largest server manufacturers, for example. We build large-scale infrastructure uh, to power all of our applications. We deploy that infrastructure, And typically, it resides in our data centers anywhere from five to seven years. But through all of that lifetime, it will change and morph considerably as we bring in new components and upgrade components. And ultimately, you know, when we exhaust the useful life of that, then we essentially recycle all that material and it goes back into building uh, new server infrastructure. So essentially, we're, we're exploiting every piece of efficiency that we can out of that data center for its entire life. And then when its useful life is exhausted, we're actually ensuring that it doesn't get back into a landfill, but it's being recycled in a responsible way. So ultimately, it extends the life of that data center, and we get the most use or utilization out of that data center for its usable life.
0: And I think some people might, um, every, every large company now, be it from tech or food or, or clothing, needs to have a uh, a kind of a responsibility agenda. But you mentioned about the kind of economic benefits as well. Is there anything more you
2: can say about that? Yeah, I mean, we look at climate change and our focus on sustainability as there's certainly a philanthropic element to it. But for anything in the sustainability umbrella to be effective and lasting, it has to have sound economic principles behind it and an incentive that is ever, you know, generating. We're a, we're a business. There's no secret, right? I mean, if, if you're running a company today, you know, apart from products and services and philanthropic efforts, you still have to make money. Mm. You know, we have shareholders. So the thing that we love about the circular economy is it it's that nexus of doing good, feeling good about what we're doing, but also fully supporting the, the what we, you know, the driving the, the core objectives of the business and making money for the company. Mm-hmm. So again, it's all aligned, and we think that, and again, the reason that we've become a global partner with the L MacArthur Foundation is we think that that's in perfect alignment with how we have to drive ultimately as a planet sustainability. We can't do it as a fil- just a purely philanthropic effort. We have to do it in a way that is aligned to economic incentives of how global economies work today. Mm-hmm. So again, we get the best of both worlds. We're doing things that we think are great and responsible for the planet, and in a way that will be self-generating, we're aligning it with the incentives of the company. Mm -hmm. And
0: uh, we've spoken a bit about systems, and it's kind of uh, something you led with at the start of the conversation. Artificial intelligence is something that that people are getting quite excited about the, the, mm-hmm. the ability for AI to help us understand complex systems. Yeah. Obviously, Google with DeepMind is a is a real leader in AI. Is there is there overlap there as well that you could share?
2: Yeah, there is. Um, so we look at a number of classes of of artificial intelligence. There's machine learning, and and I won't go into the nuances of of all of those. But with complex systems, one of the challenges that you've got is writing closed-loop analytical frameworks. Uh, in many cases, the, the data centers are so, so complicated that we can't write a you know, small set of equations that actually define how the data center runs most efficiently. We don't know what, do, what knobs and dials to turn. So effectively, what we've done with DeepMinds and our machine learning capability is, we've essentially said, look, there's this ML for a machine learning framework look at the data centers, understand how the data centers work, and essentially tell us of all of the variables and how they interact with one another, tell us how to run the world's most efficient data center. Now, interestingly enough, prior to employing ML in our data centers, we believed that we were already running the world's most efficient data centers, and we've been able to eke out an additional 40 to 50% efficiency of running that building by using ML. Mm -hmm. So we've actually been able to extend what any human or data scientist has been able to exploit from that data center by using machine learning models. And I think that's a perfect application of, again, in a very complex system, how you have to use machine intelligence, machine learning, to be able to really understand and, and drive that system to a near optimal point. And if you extrapolate that, we think there are many complex systems, the planet being one of them, where ultimately we have the capability to apply that same level of machine learning. So there's a whole sort of a class of problems that we think are extendable beyond what we're doing today.
0: It's interesting, a lot of the discussion around DIFF, and there are, there are um, many sessions around uh, AI and, and machine learning and automation, and, and this technological unemployment question comes up a lot. but. Um, there is this thread that you pick up on there that where these technologies can assist yes. humans in, yep. in making leaps in, in, in performance or, or use of materials or energy that, w- that we wouldn't have been able to do alone. That's right. That's right. Nick, I want to just come to you. Um, so Google are, are one of our, our global partners at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation alongside yep. companies like uh, H&M, uh, Philips, Nike. What did Google bring to the party? Well, I think um,
3: you sort of touched on, on a big part of it, which is they're one of the world's leading brands, you said, but they're one of the world's leading organizations. And, and, and I think a lot of people look to them for inspiration, particularly around this question of technology and, and, and innovation. Um, so I think they, they bring with them a tremendous um, capability to, to challenge the status quo. This sort of almost this dissatisfaction with the way things are now, and what what can we do better, and how can we think differently? So I think there's there's a sort of profound alignment with the uh, the underlying philosophy of the foundation and also the other global partners. So they bring that energy and they, they bring that sort of fuel almost to the fire. Um, beyond that, I think they have a, a real um, desire to use their unique technology uh, technological platforms to to actually, again, going back to what Jim said, to, to make the world a better place, to, to, be, to be very simplistic about it. Um, and I think bringing that um, unique sort of experience, that Silicon Valley sort of mentality, um, the capabilities and resources of Google, bringing that to the global partner set and being very open and collaborative about the desire to work with others and to say, you know, like the other global partners, we're leading in our industry and we want to do this with other people I think that's really powerful. And I think um, that resonates with the millions and millions of users of Google's products and services around Mm -hmm. the world.
0: When we talk about when we think about circular economy and and innovation towards a circular economy, what is the role of of Silicon Valley? or, or, Or do you think it could be a real driving force?
2: I think it will be a driving force. I've lived most of my adult life in Silicon Valley, and there are some unique traits that make Silicon Valley a special place. I've traveled all over the world, and I've seen areas of the world that are close to replicating the attributes of Silicon Valley and what what makes it unique, but nothing completely. And I think one of the core foundations and values of Silicon Valley is this almost youthful naivety around we can change the world against in some cases insurmountable odds and I think that that's something that's indelible and you know Silicon Valley's been around since the 60s but that common thread of changing the world pervades every entrepreneur I mean, you know I even look at our founders Larry and Sergey when they founded Google the world didn't need another search engine in fact people were saying what's this all about but these guys wanted to change the world in a very unique and different way. So again, I think we have this history of looking at these large-scale global problems and saying for us that's something that is it's it's a challenge, it's an opportunity, but it's something that we that we love to do. And, you know, so I think that that's something that And it's something that, that again, is part of our culture, we gravitate towards those big problems. So we look at this and go, this is something we can solve. And it has to be solved.
0: This interview was originally recorded as part of the Disruptive Innovation Festival. You can find out more at thinkdiff.co.
1: So it's clear that Google see the circular economy as a framework for thinking about how they can eliminate waste, material, and make better use of energy, particularly in their data centers. But we wanted to hear more about Google's operations, the self-driving cars that we've heard of, the application of big data, and other exciting initiatives that they're involved in. But before we get to that, Joe wants to ask a question about systems and collaboration.
0: You mentioned that you're set up with systems in mind that's kind of integral uh, to Google. But even at Google, this seems to be, uh, because we don't perhaps have a circular economy yet, this is still linear in its use of materials, energy, and information. So what are you doing to drive a shift in mindsets from linear to circular at scale within Google?
2: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, we would love to see a biodegradable computer that Essentially, you know literally you could drop in the ground and and you know up would come a tree now I think that that's a little hypothetical, but Ultimately, we believe that this has to be solved by computer science It's no secret and I and I wouldn't uh, run away from that at all. We're using traditional manufacturing techniques that are very energy intensive Uh, We believe ultimately that this is a computer or a material science problem that we are going to have to solve We cannot do it alone you know, although we are one of the world's largest server manufacturers, we have to partner with all of the other people that are consuming these goods and work with foundations like the Al MacArthur Foundation and you know uh, some basic research as well. Uh, and that's something that we're going to do for the long haul. Again, building an economic framework around it that makes sense. But ultimately, we think we have to look at this as a true you know, cradle-to-cradle circular economy problem. And ultimately, it is a, it is a material science problem mm-hmm. and a physics problem.
3: Mm-hmm. I think again, just just to add to that, the the history of Google and the you know, the current culture of Google is one that is intellectually curious, uh, and and you know that has led to many of the, the great products and services that that we've seen um, in recent years. And I think that intellectual curiosity coupled with this underlying sort of systems thinking that, that Jim also mentioned earlier, you know, will will drive a, um, a you know an, an inspiration. You know, will continue to provide a source of inspiration and and will lead to a generation of material scientists, a generation of of infrastructure engineers, a generation of all the sorts of people that that are so interesting to leading organizations, whatever their industry. And and I actually think that that, that sort of opportunity um, uh, you know, will emerge. And that we'll see you know, some of these hypothetical ideas, like um, biodegradable infrastructure, you know, becoming a reality. Um, and, and, and I think that's, again, part of why it's so great to have um, a, an organization like Google as a global partner is because they, they really represent that. And they really symbolize that um, you know, in terms of the, the global collect- uh, consciousness. Yeah, I
2: think it's a generational thing, too. Mm. Um, my generation tends to look at sustainability uh, as really an exogenous event where, you know, it, it, it wasn't something that was ingrained in us from day one. If I look at most of the, the, of the, the millennials and, that I work with, this is something that they were profoundly aware of from a very young age. So for them, this is something that's integral to the way they think. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, those are the people that are going to drive the next phase of innovation at our company and others. So oh, it's something that, that is you know, woven into the very fabric of the way they think and, and think about large-scale problems.
0: That's really interesting because it's um, something that we hear with circular Economy every now and then that, that uh, people from a, perhaps an older generation say, oh, well, we used to fix TVs and things mm-hmm. like that back in my day. So it's, it's great to hear the counterpoint to that, that yeah. the, the, the younger generations have perhaps that, that systems thinking approach. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our more humorous viewers, has added that we already had a biodegradable computer called an Acorn, uh, which, um, as yeah. I'm sorry, that has not got zero laughs from our uh, audience in the studio here. Um, but uh, the chat uh, and, the, and the discussion um, on the diff site has moved on a little bit to around Google and Alphabet products. So yeah. I want to focus on that for sure. a, a, li- a little while. Um, so, uh, Ryan says, do you think any Google Alphabet products can help lead the shift to a circular economy? I'm actually going to add a bit more specific detail from Mariano, who says, do you see self-driving cars as part of your circular economy strategy or vision?
2: We do, and I'll answer, I think there are two questions there. Uh, I'll answer the, the first one on autonomous vehicles. There's no question. Uh, autonomous vehicles are inevitable. Uh, most of us that, that fly, if you fly anywhere today, you, you actually don't realize you're flying in an autonomous plane. The pilot barely touches the, uh, the instruments anymore. So uh, we kind of joke because most of us have been in autonomous vehicles without our fully understanding it. It's just that we put drivers into the loop 100 years ago when the car was invented. And it's been hard to, do, to get us out of those, that mode. Um, yeah, I, I come from an area of the country that's probably one of the worst congested traffic areas. And the, it, it's interesting. If you look at queuing theory and the physics behind traffic jams, It's actually not solely driven by the number of cars on the road. It's actually more influenced by the way people drive. Mm. So we think that um, and we know that looking at self-driving cars and the ability to couple those cars together intelligently solves a massive congestion problem. Now, we know that those cars drive more efficiently. We know that they choose more efficient paths than humans do. Uh, We have millions of miles of testing of autonomous vehicles. So, we do feel like that's something that's certainly integral to, uh, you know, but it's a step in terms of how you develop a circular, circularly designed city, for example. But we do believe that that ultimately is part of that. Now, the question was uh, how do some of the other alphabet products um, uh, enable the circular economy? I actually think one of our most interesting uh, projects, products, is called Earth Engine. And Earth Engine is a spinout of uh, Google Geo, uh, and effectively, what we've done is, if you think about the planet, the, thi- the planet is this, you know, ecosystem of instrumentation, uh, and you know, coupling uh, imaging data and uh, uh, geographic data, l- uh, machine learning. Big data, all that together allows us to look at imaging of a a certain part of the ocean, for example, and we can tell if an area is being overfished. We look at the boats, the ships on the water. We can determine a tanker from a cargo freighter to a fishing boat. We know based on ML, machine learning, the size of that boat. We know if it's got nets in the water, it's likely fishing. We know the kind of fishing. We know the average yield of that fishing. We're able to extrapolate all that data and look at a particular area of the, the the globe and say we believe that area is being overfished we've done the same with global forest watch you know so we can then we can take that element those elements and we think we can do this on a planetary scale to be able to actually monitor resources how they're being consumed reused etc in near real time and at that point We think that that's an an Alphabet product that allows us to actually run the planet in a much more efficient way.
0: That might be an example of one that maybe hasn't grabbed as many headlines as as
2: self-driving cars, but could be hugely influential. I think it's hugely influential. In fact, I think it's it's as influential as self-driving cars. There's a lot of questions coming in
0: about um, innovation at Google and and how that works. one, uh, one here. This is actually um, one that I, I was thinking about beforehand around, around moonshots. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, there's there's this Google X, yeah. um, which uh, a quick Google search tells me that it's uh, the moonshot factory, it is. which is uh, which is, is, is a is a huge claim. Um, not all innovation can happen in great leaps. How do you manage the tension between these giant leaps forward in, in innovation compared with kind of in- incremental innovation that ha- might happen more gradually.
2: Yeah, we have a joke within Google. Uh, we have moonshots, which tend to be 10x, 100x type of improvements. Uh, and we have these, and we joke, and, and we have uh, roof shots. Yeah, we have a joke within Google. Uh, we have moonshots, which tend to be 10x, 100x type of improvements. Uh, and we have these, and we joke, and, and we have uh, roof shots, which are basically <laughs> continuous improvement. Mm. And to your point, they, they are both instrumental. To our success. Uh, moonshots, we typically, moonshots have been created out of traditional businesses. They tend not to be. Uh, they tend to be, you know, we, hence the, the creation of Google X, Google X, where we allow people to be unencumbered by some of the traditional trappings of a large company, where they're able to go off, try new things, fail. We think that that's absolutely part of, of the, the innovation cycle. Uh, that's not something that that I think most companies embrace. That's considered, you know, being on a failing product. Most of my corporate life cycle or uh, corporate history has not been a badge of of, of honor or courage. Mm. At Google, you know, that's that happens daily. Um, you know, juxtaposing it with uh, with this whole notion of roof shots, we want to drive uh, improvement and continuous improvement because this is something that you know you can't. Take a a data center that you've invested hundreds of millions of dollars into, and 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 change it overnight. That requires continuous improvement. So the two exist, coexist. Uh, I'd argue for probably different purposes, uh, but ultimately, uh, you know, they both drive innovation in very interesting ways.
3: And I think Google's recognized your point.
2: It's a great question about that that tension.
3: That part of addressing it is first of all recognizing it and understanding that. They are different ways of uh, they're different ways of doing things. We we hear and, and I get asked a lot about, um, about X and about AstroTeller and, and and Moonshots and innovation at Google because it's, it's become so such an inspirational sort of part of the story. But I think what's really important is to, to, to dig down underneath that and understand in the case of X, you know, how have the, the process that supports it, yeah. the actual process that supports Moonshots. Because that's what is fascinating. And I think that's what is so difficult. It's very easy for companies to say, we want to change the world, we want to drive 10x or 100x improvement. And we've got these great people, and we've got a great sort of setup, and we're going to fund it. But but the the art of it, and I think it's taken from the outside, it's taken Google 10 years to get to this stage of, of, of maturity in terms of the process that drives that. And failure is a big part of it, absolutely. But there was a, 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 a fantastic um, blog post by AstroTeller recently, really explaining the different stages that go into moonshot development. Yeah, and and int- I think that's so important.
2: Yeah, and interestingly enough, there's not a lot of cross fertilization between the members of Google X mm. and the members of, of my team, for example. And I mean, by that, I mean, those people are cut typically from a different cloth and they look at the world through a different set of lenses than I do. Uh, and there's, obviously we need both of those to coexist, cool. but it's very interesting because uh, to Nick's point, it's culture, it's people, it's incentives um, with kind of this you know, almost aspirational uh, you know, intent to go and reinvent the way things are done. And it's very difficult sometimes when you're sitting in a normal business and you're trying to, you know, let's go and create the next version of, of the search algorithms. It's very difficult to get out of that framework to say, we're going to totally reinvent the way that X, Y, or Z is, is done. Mm-hmm. And I think X is, is to your point, they've, they've been honing that, that culture and that system of innovation. And I'm sure that it will continue to be uh, tweaked further.
0: Mm-hmm. We've got just a couple of minutes left. We're going to take one more question in from Twitter, which was um, really looking at this on the global scale. Will the next billion users in developing economies be able to take advantage of the circular economy? Can Google help them?
2: Absolutely. We have a significant uh, set of initiatives under underway to drive, uh, you know, operations and, and products to the next billion set of users. Mm. Um, again, we think that. You know, it's, it is about improving their lifestyle. It isn't about access to information. Um, but we recognize that it's, that the way the last three billion people got online is probably not the way that the next one, two, or three billion people are going to get online. The economics are different the uh, even the applications of technology are different so we're there isn't a day that goes by that we don't spend a lot of time talking about that but uh, absolutely
1: you are listening to Jim Miller vice president of operations at Google Jim was in conversation with Joe Isles and Nick Engineer from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation
0: this is the circulate podcast broadcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation
1: Look out for more Circulate Podcasts. We are building up quite a collection. Here's what's coming up next time on the Circulate Podcast. Materials is a, is a f- common focus, but it's beyond that and energy.
3: It's also into information flows. And information seems to be the key to unlocking these nice new business models, these new opportunities.
1: That was Ken Webster of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation who was talking about the circular economy. We estimate that the circular economy is a $2 trillion opportunity, but it is, as Ken put it in that clip, much bigger than simply a question of materials. If you are intrigued by the concept of a circular economy, then Ken Webster and Ella Yamzan are the people to hear more from. And luckily enough, those are the pair who will join us in the next Circulate podcast. So I will see you then.
0: This interview was originally recorded as part
2: of the Disruptive Innovation Festival. You can find out more at thinkdiff.co.